0: All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Yes, I was in chapter 6, but I'm going back to chapter 5. Because there was one passage of scripture that I wasn't ready to preach, but I'm ready now. And that's found in verse number 33 of Ephesians chapter 5. I also want to let you know that on Sunday mornings we are translating the messages into Spanish. So if you need a headset, uh, just let us know, and, uh, you can, uh, and we can get you one, all right? So um, we're doing that every Sunday now. So thank the Lord for that. Let's have a word of prayer as we continue. Lord, thank you this morning for the opportunity to worship you. I pray, Lord, that as we now look at the Word of God again, That you may weld it upon our hearts that we not only understand it, but you would move our wills to do it. And Lord, as we do it, we would reap the benefits of how you created things and what you originally intended. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. For we know we couldn't do anything you asked us to do unless it was for him. So I pray, Lord, that we would always give ourselves over to the control of the Spirit, that we can put into practice what we're learning. And Lord, I pray that you would make us sensitive to your Word, that you would allow us to think about it day in and day out. And Lord, by your Word, you would transform us into the image of Christ. For we know, Lord, this is your plan, and this is your purpose, and you're making us for your glory, you're making us for your presence And Lord, we want to cooperate with you now. And Lord, thank you for this time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 33. But before I get there, let me just back up a bit, give you some where I came from and where I'm I'm going. Okay, some of you noticed I did not deal with the last passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, you were right. But this Lord's Day, I am coming back to chapter 5 because it is an important text. Actually, it is a summary statement by the Apostle Paul of all that has been said about the profound institution of marriage, how God designed it. In the home, Christ's authority is centered in on the husband. It is not centered in on the wife or the children, as it says in 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Here, the husband's responsibility to see that his God is receiving honor in his home by carrying out the roles the way God designed them. So the husband does this by carrying out his special headship, which included at least four characteristics which I already gave you, but I'll just throw them out to you. The first one is that his headship is special. Of course, it's special because it's guided and led by the Holy Spirit, it's not led by the flesh or anything like that. It's led by the Spirit. He has a special responsibility, and that responsibility is to be a leader in his home and, of course, to be a servant leader in his home. A second thing is that his headship is special because there's a special kind of affection that God has given to the man towards his wife. Remember, the authority, the responsibility, the power given to the husband is all tempered by love. It is the Holy Spirit of God that gives the power to love and to help us understand what it looks like when it happens. Where it says in verse number 25, husbands love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. All right? So the Lord has a sacrificial affection toward the church. So the husband is to have a sacrificial affection toward their wives how are they to do that it says the Lord gave himself up for her it's not that the husband gives his life up for his wife like the Lord did but see the husband when he sees his wife in all her imperfections and faults and deficiencies and failures and sins and he wants to condemn her and argue with her and play the blame shift game with her if he's going to love his wife in an affectionate way, the way God wants him to, he'll not go there. When he's controlled by the Spirit of God, he won't go there. So husbands, you must remember the way in which yourselves have been saved and have been endeared and supremely loved by Christ, that Christ went all out so we can be saved. And so therefore, that needs to be Working through the life of the husband. A third characteristic of a husband's headship is, and because it's special, is that it has an ongoing uh, sanctification to it. Verse 26 and 27 of Ephesians 5. There is a twofold purpose for the self sacrifice of Christ. The first one is immediate for Jesus dying uh, for the church. It, there's a present sanctification going on and that's in verse 26 so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by washing of water with the word all right again the the washing from the guilt of sin was once and forever however the cleansing is not only from the guilt of sin and from the power of sin but from the pollution of sin every day we get polluted by sin sin makes us dirty and so We need to be cleansed of that sin. That sin has been taken care of on the cross, but there is a sense in which we confess it, and we come to the cross, and the cross has the power, again, to wash away that sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and as it says in Titus, God intended to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. He wants to purify us, And that ultimate reason that the Lord died was, of course, a future consummation in verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that she would be holy and blameless, that only Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has fought the greatest battle and conquered. And so you see, no one is adequate to present the bride, the church, to Christ except Christ himself. So Christ dies for the bride. He cleanses the bride. And then he makes the bride ready for that ultimate presentation someday. We are going to be presented to the Lord. In his presence, and that's going to be a glorious day. There's another characteristic of the headship of man, and that's found in verse 28 through 30, and that it is special because of its self love. And it says in verse number 28 so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So, in other words, it's very It's a very common thing for a man to take care of his own body. And there are several words, actually, the Scripture uses to describe how this self-love looks. The bottom line here is that the husband ought to love his wife in the same manner he cares for his own body, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So the husband is to tenderly nurture his wife as he cares for for his own body. And what are the words in verse 29? But he nourishes it, all right? Just as Christ does the church. That is, Christ's concern for his bride, for the church, and Christ's concern about the health and the growth and the development and the well-being of his bride, his church, all right, what does he do? He provides gifts to the church to perfect it. He, he provides the apostles and the prophets and the pastor teachers and the evangelists for his church. they are gifts to the church and all the spiritual gifts that go with it in the body so the church can be built up, so it can be made strong. And he also sp- provides spiritual enlightenment that the Lord, when we come to the Scripture, he opens the Word of God to us. We begin to start hearing and understanding the mind of God as we look at the Word of God. And then, of course, the Lord provides spiritual food to us From the word of God, for the word of God is given as spiritual food to the soul. So the husband is to tenderly cherish his wife as he cares for his own body. Of course, he nourishes it and he also cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And that word "cherished" meant to clothe, and it speaks of an attitude of caring, of valuing, of looking after her tenderly. However both the wife and the husband have been given a task to exhibit Jesus Christ in their marriage, in both roles, the role of the man and the role of the woman. Woman. So I am specifically going to deal with, this morning, the latter part of our verse, in verse number 33. And look, let's read it. It says in chapter 5, verse 33, Nevertheless, Each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. There's that self-love there as he wraps it up. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now this is a summation of all that has gone ahead in this verse, in this passage, in this chapter. On the one side of of the marital coin... It says that the husband is to love his own wife as he loves himself. The husband doesn't, uh, is not harsh toward his wife. Husbands are not normally harsh to themselves, so they are not to be harsh or crushing or domineering toward their wives. Like it says in Colossians, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered or harsh towards them. And of course, harshness comes from attitudes and words that can be expressed, body language. All those things can express that you're not happy. And so, in a way, that grieves God's spirit. That shows you're not in the spirit. You're not being led and controlled by the spirit, but you're just doing, you're being stubborn in your will. Now, to switch to the other side of the marital coin in verse number thirty-three again, and this is the p- part I'm going to spend time on this morning, is that and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. This is her responsibility given to her by God. So these two go, uh, these two together really display a unity and a balance that is to be realized in the marriage when Christ is honored, both the husband and the wife are giving themselves over to the control of the Holy Spirit. So here in verse number 33, the apostle seems to be dealing with each gender at the weak points of a husband and wife relational tendency, or tendencies in in those relationships. In other words, uh, often... Uh, man's great temptation in a marriage is to use his power and his position, his physique, to enforce dictatorial rule or to indulge in passive self-absorption. All right? Do nothing. All right? I work. I make the money. I come home. I sit on my chair. I get my clicker. I have my drink. Leave me alone. That's not what God intends. All right at all whatsoever, and that's the tendency, that's the temptation. We have all been given over to it, men. But the woman, the comparable temptation for her is to use the power of words and emotions to diminish a husband's influence so that she has control of her home. That's the tendency and temptation for the woman. So, see, the Scripture allows for neither power, power play, by commanding the men to love their wives sacrificially and commending the women to respect their husbands. Also, a man will try to dominate a woman with strength. A man will try to accomplish this by intimidation or stubbornness, both of which express a a desire for power and control. On the other hand, a woman will try to control a man with shame. A woman will accomplish this by a look by a cutting remark by an accusation or an embarrassing reminder of some past or present failure that it seems to always come up see she she wears him down until he becomes less and less sure about his authority and less and less secure in his authority wherein his influence in the home dissolves to almost nothing. When his authority is diminished, the wife has more of an opportunity to needle him, to shame him, and to control the environment. See, that's the tendency we all have. Whether you're a man, there's a temptation towards one way. Whether you're a woman, there's a temptation toward another way. But again, the Holy Holy Spirit led love from the husband, and Holy Spirit-led respect from the wife permits none of this grappling for spousal control. It's not found in the Word of God. The greatest liberator for a man, the greatest liberator for a woman, is the gospel itself. And the greatest liberator for a peaceful, joyful home is the gospel And the Spirit of God and the Word of God, they all go together, all right, in the home that the Christian husband has not been granted the privilege to intimidate or to ignore his wife. And the Christian wife has no right to diminish or shame her husband in any way. Those are all fleshly tendencies. They are not led by the Spirit of God. They have no place for it. Uh, in the Christian walk. Now, these are things that God has to drive out of our lives. He has to show us those things. We have to see it in ourselves. And as we see it in ourselves, and whether you're married or not, young ladies, you're going to be married someday. Start learning this stuff now. And young men, start learning this stuff now. That this is what pleases God. When When we all learn to be walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh so see when the husband and the wife stop thinking and acting in terms of their individuality as two people asserting their rights which of course will inevitably bring clashes and discords and of course sometimes divorce and separation happens when these things go on and go on and go on and go on until there's nothing left this happens all the time all right, so God is trying to rescue marriages when it comes to the gospel. So the real cause of failure, failure in a marriage is self, selfishness. For married people to think in terms of two as two is to deny the very basic principle of marriage, which is the husband and wife are one. Doesn't it say that in the word of God and to grasp the concept and the two shall become what? One flesh. I already dealt with that a couple weeks ago. See the wife is the body of the husband even as the church is the body of Christ. To grasp and live that fundamental principle is that of unity. It's, and if we are going to have a unity in the home we, there must be a, a denunciation of self. And a moving toward God's intended balance, peace, and unity in the home. So then, the husbands, your wives are not to merely be your partners. She is is your better half. Not two units, but two halves of one. The two shall become one. The man is only the half, and what he does involves of necessity the other half. So whatever the husband does involves the wife. Whatever the wife does involves the husband. You can't get away from that. There's no, we're not living individually private secret lives and we're still in the same place. Can't do that anymore, all right? You have to come to the place where you understand what God is actually doing. That what one person does affects the other whether they know it or not. God knows it and it does. And so therefore we need to be caring for one another So our marriages can reflect how Christ sacrificed and loved the church. Of course, everything applies to the other side, to the wife. She is to willfully submit herself. She is not to be selfish. Now, the question I'm asking this morning is this. How is she to demonstrate this in her home? How is she to demonstrate respect in her home, a home that honors Christ? Well... Again, in verse number 33, I want to look at that. And then I want to go over to 1 Peter. Uh, and when I get there, we'll look at that passage of Scripture. But it says again, the wife must see to it now, uh, that she respects her husband. Now, you may be surprised that the, the actual Greek word for respect here is the word phobeo, which means to cause fear. Now, of course, it, doesn't, uh, it, it does not mean in other places to be afraid. It, it does mean to be frightened. But, of course, here it does not mean fear in reference to t- terror or torment. What it means is that uh, it, mean, it gives a sense of reverence or respect. What it means is that the wife is to treat her husband with reverential obedience. The word respect means more practically to be in awe of. And here it is, to treat as someone special. Now, wives, would you say that that's been your thinking? That when it comes to your husband, you're, you're actually thinking about them as treating them as someone special in the sense of they have been given a unique role by God, a role that hasn't been given to you, been given to them they may be using that role in a good way or bad way they may not be using the role at all they may be checking out i don't know but see that's that really has doesn't come into play what comes into play is what are you doing with it see how, how are you walking in the spirit when it comes to that so wives are are you acting towards your husband in this way do you respect him with your words do you respect him with the tone of your voice do you respect him with your facial expressions? That's a big one, isn't it? Not. Facial expressions. Matter of fact, body language and facial expressions probably say more than words, don't they? They do. See, how, how are you doing in that area? That's all going to show whether you're showing reverential reverence or you're showing reverential obedience to your husband you're treating them as someone special so are are you viewing your marriage in other words in terms of God's good design concerning this new unit you're in you're both one but there is a head to that unit and that head is your husband and the role God gave him is not your role so don't get it mixed up But you're to honor the unique role that God gave to him. So wives, your relationship for your husband finds its source. Listen to this. Not in who he is or what he does or how deserving he is. The relationship to which God calls you has its source in your relationship with the Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, the desire for your responsibility must be rooted in the desire to be pleasing to God. Well, that's exactly what he set up in verse number 10 of chapter 5, where he says, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Yes, and you know what that word they're trying, there is a sense in this is a struggle. This is not this does not come easy for men. Or for women. Because they look at their circumstances and it's not ideal. They look at their husband and realistically, he's not ideal. And back and forth. And so we begin to respond just by what we're seeing and not by what God is doing. See, it's our obedience to the Lord which brings into the home a peace and a unity that does not come apart from us obeying what's already there. See, that becomes very significant and important. As to my message last week about the obe- how obedience is right and beautiful in God's sight, just as a young lady formerly paid respect and obedience to her father and mother, when she leaves father and mother and becomes one with her husband, what she gave to her parents she now is to pay to her husband. She is no longer under the authority of her parents. When she gets married, her relationship with her parents has changed. She still has a relationship with them, but the relationship has somewhat changed. All right, And of course, when that has changed, what she does now is she is under the authority of her husband. And she is always, from that point on, in a position of paying respect to the head, which is the husband. She is never the head. She can't assume that role because it's not being carried out by her husband. See, that's an important distinction in the word of the of the uh, word of God. So neither is she, as some people say. Neither she is she the neck that turns the head. Some people have communicated that to me. Well, I'm not the head, but I'm the neck that turns the head. You heard that before, right? Tongue in cheek. You know what that is? That's just another way of saying she will in the end have her way no matter what her husband says or how he intends to lead. Again, it's just a fleshly, worldly manipulation and it's not walking in the spirit. It is walking in the flesh. So a wife is to respect her husband. One respected theologian's wife, uh, Nancy Wilson, Uh, wrote this in one of her books. She says, It has been wisely stated, Obedience is the opener of eyes. Discontent blinds women to the many good qualities of her husband. But when gratitude and respect are cultivated for their husbands, wives find more and more to respect. So, see, it comes with obeying what's right here and then seeing what God's going to do because God's going to carry out what he intends to do when we obey his word. It was like Elizabeth Elliot who said, God doesn't give us any footnotes on this particular passage of scripture. He says, listen, listen, carry it out the way I said it And I'll produce the results. I will bring into your home what you could never do on your own. See, that's what the Spirit of God does. It first starts with an obedient heart. Now, let's just look at a bad example and then I want to look at a good example. So take your Bibles and turn to Esther. Yes, that is a book in the Bible. Esther chapter 1, verse 9 through 22. Now, of course, if you have a... Uh, leaf bible then you can try to find that but if you have of course electronic bible you just scroll down that little thing and boop you hit it and it's there all right i warn you though again if you use that too much and not your paper bible then you may not know where things are when you have to look up them up quickly right so it can cripple, cripple you a little bit and so try to use the paper bible too. And to bring it to church, matter of fact, it probably would be more helpful to you than the electronic stuff. You can bring both. Some people set up you know, a whole you know, thing in front of them and they're doing all kinds of stuff. But that's all right, all right. But as long as you're learning the word of God and you're taking it with you. But Esther chapter one, here's kind of a, a I'm using this as a, a fleshly response to her husband. Of course, Esther's a queen. Her husband's the king. And I want you to notice what it says in verse number 9. Verse number 9 of Esther. It says, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the woman in the palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, verse 10... When the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded his seven eunuchs to go and tell her to come. Verse 11, it says, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty before the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. But look at verse number 12 of chapter 1. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command. To deliver, delivered by the eunuchs, then the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him. All right, she obeyed the command of the king to come and she just did her own thing. She was having her part, the party with, uh, with the women, and she didn't really want to be bothered. Well, look down at verse number 15. It says, According to the law, what is to be done with Queen Vashti because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs in the presence of the King and the princes, Menachem, said Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also the princes and all the peoples who are in the province of King Ahasuerus. In verse 17, for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands by saying, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into his presence, but she did not come. Verse number 18, the day... The ladies of Persia and Medea who had heard of the queen's conduct will speak the same way at all the king's princes and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. And then look at verse number 20. When the king's edict which he will make is heard throughout all his kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands, great and small, And then down in verse number 22, in the middle of the verse, it says that every man should be the master of his own house. No, in other words, that Vashti, being the queen, disobeyed her, not only the king, but her husband, and it brought contempt and anger and confusion amongst the women of of his kingdom that would cause, of course, many other problems, many other issues areas of disobedience and there would be chaos within the kingdom, of course, that would have been a terrible thing and it, uh, the men would have lost honor in their homes and therefore they would no longer be the masters or have the authority in their home but their authority would have been moved to another place. So that, that's the challenge. Now, Holy Spirit-controlled wives are to avoid the stubborn, disrespectful attitude and demeanor of this bad example. So married ladies, if you never learned this when you were growing up, well, if you give yourself over to the control of the Spirit of God as a believer, He will show you your role to pay respect to your husbands. And this is where you have to, this morning, make some mental and spiritual adjustments, that the wife does this so she eliminates striving and competition within her family, especially between her and her husband. There's really no excuse. There's no exceptions. And so, just as Jim Elliott's wife said, Elizabeth Elliott speaking on 1 Peter chapter 3 that God's word really gives gives us no footnotes she was really responding to uh the people who would think this the wives actually who would think this God doesn't expect me to submit to my husband does he he's lazy and inconsiderate he's selfish and irresponsible with finances. He is demanding, and he's just a couch potato. That's all he is. He doesn't lead anything. My husband, for some, is not even a Christian, and I am. Am I supposed to submit and respect him? The answer from a biblical perspective is if you are a woman, and if you are a believer in Christ, the answer is yes, you are. Yes, you are. Matter of fact, that's why I want to turn over to First Peter chapter three, or turn back uh, forward to First Peter chapter three, Hebrews, and then First Peter, because if you notice in verse number one of First Peter chapter three, it tells us here that in the same way, First Peter chapter three, verse one. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So see, it's the behavior of their wives that even wins a husband who is disobedient to the word and gets his attention. So according to Scripture, the excuses that I just gave you are inadmissible unless a moral issue is at stake women are obligated by scripture to submit and respect their own husbands of course this must never follow this would, actually following your husband into sin is not what it's intended or against what the Lord has expressed in the word of God is not intended either but what is intended is to follow a good example and here's a good example right here in First Peter Chapter 3, here's a spirit-led response. This is the response women should pray about, strive to implement, and practice in their home. Now, before I look at that, here is the response for women who desire to practice what the Word of God says. Here, here is the response of holy women that we'll see in a minute. And remember, holy women are set-apart women. They're they're set-apart as instruments in God's hands. Holy women have an active hope in God. And because they have an active hope in God, then what do they do? Well, you know what they do? They put on their makeup. Yes, she makes herself attractive and adorns herself by applying cosmetics now, why do I say that? Well, if you look at verse number two, it says, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, verse three, your adornment must not be a merely external braiding of the hair, or wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious precious. In the sight of God, the word "adornment" that is used in Scripture is actually a word that means to be to put something in order, to decorate, to make beautiful, to make attractive, and we get the word from it "cosmetics." Cosmeto, all right. We get the word cosmetics, and of course, anybody who's going to be using cosmetics is always for the reason to make someone look better, more attractive, to. and so what kind of cosmetics do holy women put on? Primarily, it is not the physical kind, no. It doesn't mean that you cannot put on the physical kind, but they took much care to put on the s- spiritual cosmetics that make them look beautiful to their husbands and pleasing to the Lord. Again, in verse number two, that they would observe their chase. And respectful behavior, that's the husband, that's what he sees when he sees his wife. He sees past her physical appearance to her heart, to her mind. He knows that his wife respects him. You know how far that goes? You know how motivating that is for a man? Just as when a wife knows her husband loves her, you know how motivating that is for her? You know how protecting that is for her? You know how that makes her secure? You know how that, that makes her better. She can do some of the things that she wants to do because her husband loves her. And so when the wife respects the husband, it motivates the husband to be who he ought to be, to correct what he ought to correct, to live in a way that honors the Lord. See, that's what... The husband begins to see when a wife begins to put these things into practice. What kind of adornment specifically? What kind of cosmetics specifically? Look at verse number 5 of 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, here it is, being submissive to their own husbands. There's the cosmetics right there. That's where you look beautiful. That's where you look like when God created in the beginning, before sin came in. This is God recreating after the Spirit of God comes in and salvation comes in. Then he's making you again someone who looks beautiful on the inside and that inside Image begins to be seen by the husband. But I want you to notice again in verse number six, more specifically, what's the cosmetics? Obedience. Look at verse number six. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, guess what? That word obey in the original Greek language is the word for obedience. The word for obedience means to hear. It means to listen to. It means to subject oneself to. And so that's what the woman begins to do, that she begins to, listen, act beautifully by putting on her cosmetics of submission, by putting on her cosmetics of obedience. And how is she, why is she doing that? She's doing it all before God first. All before God. Now, just jog your mind for a moment To the fact that the wise person from Proverbs is someone who listens to those who God has put in authority. The wise person is also someone who has learned to obey with skill and beauty. Obedience has a beauty to it. There is a joyful submission to the way someone who obeys correctly it comes out there's a joyful submission of the way someone carries out obedience as a believer so just as godly as godly submission of the wife is referred to as adornment if someone intends to adorn something it is usually for attention and it's to bring out the beauty of the thing being adorned so the the beautiful inner attitude of sarah moved to call her husband. If you notice, verse number 6. Now this is what you may have a problem with, women. It says, And Sarah obeyed Abraham, what? Calling him, what? Lord. Lord. Now, of course, if you go home and call your husband Lord, he'll do anything for you. The word Lord means master. What it really means is that This is the authority that God has given him and as he carries it out and he uses his headship properly, it brings the woman to come to the place where she treats him as someone special because God made him special. God gave him a particular role. So when you are actually putting on this cosmetics of submission and of obedience, that is what wins the husband. That is what the Spirit of God uses to win him, to bring him to the place where he sees that you're not against him. You're not fighting him. You're not digging in against him. You're not manipulating him, but you're actually wanting to grow. So you're standing in the line of not Vashti, but you're standing in the line of Sarah. Now, that's really important. You know why? Because the scripture says it's important. Look at verse number six. It says, in other words, women, you can stand in Sarah's line and become one of her children. Look what it says in verse six. It says simply this, that just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right, meaning this, ladies, all the holy ladies from that point on and before, when you desire to do it like this, you're standing in line behind Sarah, the wife of Abraham. That's a significant thing. And not only that, you can stand in Sarah's line by, if you notice what it says, by doing what is right. See, this is right before God. This is right Uh, before the Spirit of God that is moving you and teaching you how to live your life in the home where your home can be rescued by many damaging things that could have happened in the past. Many sins that have been committed in the past can be all undone as you begin to put into practice this passage of Scripture. Now, I just need to give a little word of testimony. One One many years ago, I was preaching on this passage of Scripture. There was a woman in our congregation who had a husband who abused her physically, verbally, and all kinds of other ways. He used to wake her up at 3 in the morning just for, for her to make him eggs and, and uh, whatever he wanted at that time. And, of course, she was struggling with that, and they were at the brink of their marriage. They were, she was ready to walk out and say, forget it. And then I had preached this message on 1st. 1 Peter chapter 3, and she says, she came to me after the message. She says, you know what, Pastor, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to put this into practice. Right? It's going to be tough, but I'm going to put it into practice. Do you know she did? And about six months later, she came to me and she says, you know, my husband is the nicest, the kindest, the gentlest, hasn't woken me up at three in the morning, has been respectful to me, has, has done things for me. He's never done for me his whole life. And all I could attribute it to is I put this into practice. Well, she's still married to that man. And they still have a good marriage. I don't know if he's come to the Lord yet. He was not a believer. But God rescued her from the wrong way of doing things, the wrong way of implementing things, and has a good marriage because of it. See, that's the power of the Spirit of God when we put things into practice. But I want you to notice the last thing in verse number 6. It says to women, it says, listen, without being frightened by fear. Now that's interesting, that's put on the end of that passage of Scripture. And why would it be there? Because there is certain fear that comes, usually it's cultural fear that's impressed upon a woman. Don't forget, we live in a nation today that the feminization of our country is at its height. Some people have called it the chickification of the United States, where, see, all the, the roles have been have been switched around. It's no longer the man who's in authority. It's no longer the man who tackles the 250-pound guy. It's the, it's the 150-pound lady who tackles the 50, 250-pound guy and, and wins. See, it's all been changed around and twisted and convoluted, and our generation is growing up with that media and so they're thinking that hey listen it's all the same don't worry about that if women want to take the role if women want to be in leadership if women want to do this that's all fine it's not fine see so see so women could actually be frightened into just sticking with that mindset instead of throwing that mindset to the wind See, in other words, wives, you are to pay respect to your own husbands in spite of what the world of pagan women around you might say because of what is, what you are doing by respecting your husband is so rare and so exceptional it gets the attention of the world. However, keep doing it because it's right before God and puts you in a long line of cosmetically adorned holy women who have gone before you. See, don't be afraid of the pressure that will come in our cultural atmosphere, in our day. When you meet with the little community groups and when you start talking like this or talking about these things, type of things they're going to look at you cross-eyed and they're going to um, they're going to think you're crazy but you know just like uh, it's not it's really not been any different it's not been different in the biblical times in the old testament times it just it seems to be escalated and gone to a, a point that is out of control um and it's the church that's the only place that's going to rescue and bring us back to a biblical mindset so we can get back to what God intended. It's like, I don't know if you remember way back when, when a woman named Helen Reddy wrote a song called I Am Woman. You remember that song? Right? Her song was chosen to be the song that would represent the year of the woman in 1975, but what she said rings louder today. Her her song said, if, if I have to, I can do anything. I am strong. I'm invincible. I'm woman. See, don't listen to those who say you are foolish or say that you, you're denying the rights you have as independent women. Don't let that, this culture infect you with that thinking. Let the Word of God change your mind, transform your mind so you're living it out before the Lord. And when you do so, there's going to be an inner beauty connected with the outer beauty, and that beauty is going to drip, run over into your home. And not only that, you're going to give a good example to your kids on what it means for a husband to love his wife and what it means for a wife to be submissive and respectful to her. Her husband, see, your kids are going to walk out of the home, says, well, I don't have to read any books. I've, I saw it lived in front of me every day. That's more powerful than anything else. So, see, that's when you get behind someone like Sarah you are getting behind someone who is doing the right thing. See, the world is uninformed about your high calling as a woman. They're uninformed about your role to put on the beautiful garments of respect and holy behavior. They're uninformed about those things, about how you're to uh, respond to your husbands and how you're to respond to before the Lord. They're uninformed about that. But you, the church, you women are informed Now, you know what? Go and live it. Change what you have to change and start putting it into practice. And I guarantee from God's word that things will change. Especially for you. So then husbands. The husband is given headship. And because he loves his wife as himself... He never abuses his position or treats his wife harshly. In fact, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 7. It switches back to the husband. It says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why do you do that? So your prayers will not be hindered. Men, the... We want to hinder your prayer life? Treat your wife wrong. You have no prayer life. Of course, I am assuming that the husband and wife are genuine Christians for most of this message. Also, the wife is called to submit and respect her husband. And this is the great balance of marriage that God intended. If the husband and wife are together considering the Lord Jesus Christ if they are following him, if their affections and love for each other is being cemented together because of their common love for Jesus Christ and their love for the word of God and to put those things into practice, then you don't have to worry about or be concerned about your relationship with your spouse. Because it's going to be a better relationship than you ever imagined. So there's a responsibility for the men. And there's a responsibility for the women. That's what the Spirit of God intends for your life. Now go live it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. I appreciate the word of God, Lord because it's so clear and convicting, but Lord, you know the people that are here, you know their hearts, you know their situations, you know the things that they need to change. There may be someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, as their Savior, I pray today you would bring them to a place to repent of their sins and to repent towards the Father and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that today they'd come and tell somebody they want to understand the gospel so they can be saved. And those women, Lord, who are newly married, who are going to get married, who are, have been married, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to understand and to practice these things that are in the word of God so they can stand in a, in a line behind Sarah and be confident of that. And I pray you, Lord, you'd be with the husbands that are here too, that any adjustments they need to make, any things that they need to change, any sin that they need to put to death, they would do so. So they would fall in line of what the Spirit of God wants for them, and the wife would fall in line for what the Spirit of God wants for her, and that both of them together, as one, could serve you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you would bring blessing into their home that you would even bring blessing into their families and to their, their community groups that they are involved with so they can show the world what God intends. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do this in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask it. Amen. Let's stand together.